And now, live on tape from Speed Shop Sound Studios in North Hollywood, California, it's the Rodcast. Brought to you by your friends at the American Hot Rod Foundation. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the host of the Rodcast, David Steele. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Thank you for that fine introduction, Larry Babb. And welcome to another episode of the Rodcast brought to you by the American Hot Rod Foundation. I am your host, David Steele. And as Larry just mentioned, we are always coming to you live from Speed Shop Sound Studios in North Hollywood, California. We have a great show for you today. And I know my fellow Hot Rod historians are going to really appreciate this one. It comes from our foundation interview archives, which means it's from our film interview series. So if you hear me in the distance asking questions, it's because I purposely stay off the mic during those interviews. So just a heads up there. Um, today's episode features a one-on-one discussion with hot rod pioneer Pete Henderson. And, you know, Pete is Pete's not only one of those great early hot rodders, but as you'll hear, he also has a long history uh, in vintage sports car racing, auto restoration, collecting, you name it. Uh, but have no fear, once a hot rodder, always a hot rodder, and Pete is no different. He currently has a stable of traditional hot rods in his garage, uh, which include period perfect 29 uh, four-banger Model A Roadster uh, that truly harkens back to Pete's days as a kid growing up and hot rodding in Pasadena. Now, some of you will be familiar with Pete for a range of different reasons. His name is connected with, of course, one of the greatest 32 roadsters to survive from the wartime era of early hot rodding. And the styling cues that he built into his original roadster can be seen on so many of the current traditional roadsters uh, built today. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard a younger guy reference Pete's Roadster with things like, uh, you know, well, I tried to get a subtle rake, you know, kind of like the Pete Henderson Roadster, or I'm going to run white walls this year like Pete Henderson did on his Roadster. Um, Actually, just the other day, I was telling a friend of mine about this upcoming uh, podcast episode, and he got all excited. And he was like, man, I've, I've always wanted the top on my Roadster to look as close to the Henderson top as possible. And uh, it's just, it's funny how a kid can build a roadster during World War II for his own enjoyment and his transportation. And now it it not only trades hands for six-figure prices, but continues to inspire younger builders three generations later. Uh, if, if that isn't what it's all about, then I, I don't know anything. Uh, but, uh, of course the first thing that oftentimes comes up with Pete's name is the famous race with the quarter horse that Pete and his deuce, deuce roadster took part in on that dusty little farm road in 1944. If there ever was a story from the early days of hot rodding that would simply be a tall tale if it weren't for Ernie McAfee and his camera standing at the ready, uh, this is definitely it. I mean... Even when you see the well-worn photograph 
of this now infamous event with your own eyes, it's still pretty hard to believe that it really happened. But it did. It did. And uh, and so did a whole lot more in the life of today's guest. And you'll hear all about it from the man who was there. And I'm happy to say that Pete remains active in the hot rod world today. He's a lifelong member of the Pasadena Roadster Club and still gets his uh, 29 Roadster out to run with the boys from time to time. So, um, And of course, we couldn't be happier that Pete is a friend and a supporter of the American Hot Rod Foundation and that he so graciously gave of his time to sit down with us and share his story today. So sit back, buckle in, and keep up the revs as we listen in on our discussion with hot rod pioneer Pete Henderson. You've been through this before, Pete, but if you wouldn't mind saying your full name and your and your birthday. Yes, uh, Peter Henderson, uh, May 1926. And where were you born, Pete? I was born in, in Flint Ridge, the suburb of Pasadena. And we moved to Pasadena when I was about uh, 12 years old and lived there for, I've been a resident of Pasadena forever since then, really. I went away to college for a couple of years up in Oregon, but that was all. And you still live in Pasadena today, right? Well, actually, yeah, suburbs, Temple City, mm-hmm. <clears throat> California. So, yeah. What was... Uh... What was life like in the Pasadena area when you were a, a, a kid? Altogether different. Mm-hmm. There was only one freeway being built, Pasadena Freeway, and and uh, very little traffic, and and uh, we didn't have to worry about uh, insurance or things like that with our cars. And it uh, they had a lot of drive-ins that we used to hang out at, and you know. And local roadsters and roadsters from out of town, and usually promoted a drag race someplace. So that was that was my growing up. Actually, I started with the soapbox derby, and when I was 12 years old, I built that in Pasadena. And then when I was 15, I acquired a Model A roadster, and eventually I saved money and bought a Riley two port head and. A couple of Winfield carburetors that got me started actually in the roadster business. We didn't call them hot rods; we called them roadsters back then. So things changed a lot. So anyway, uh, what do you think? Was there something when you were very young that got you interested in things mechanical? Was it your dad, or actually, I think it uh, was more my my brother because he was ten years older than I was. And when we lived in Flint Ridge, we had a large house and had a, a big garage with a pit in it. And uh, he built a car for the Dry Lakes in 1938. It was a uh, Model A, naturally Model A Phaeton, stripped down, had all Winfield stuff on it. And, and uh, he ran at the Dry Lakes in 1938. I've got that program. And uh, I used to watch him and work on it his buddies, and they all hung out there, the early hot rod group that went to the Dry Lakes, which was Muroc at that time. It wasn't El Mirage or Harper's. I think that kind of got my interest up, you know. 
I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. Did they have? Did your brother have an official roadster club that he belonged to, or was it? No, actually, I don't. Well, maybe roadster clubs were just starting then, uh, but uh, he he wasn't a member of any club that I know of. But, uh, and uh, he turned into a kind of a car guy later on. He got into sports cars, and and so did I, and you know. And, uh, we got along very well together. I miss him. Mm. You know, so. mm. Anyway, that got me started. And Did you ever go to the dry lakes with him? No, no. I was kid brother, and I was 10 years younger. And yeah, it's a big so. age difference when you're a kid. Oh, yeah, definitely, especially 10 years, you know. Yeah. You know, but it was always very good to me. Towed me around on my soapbox turvy around Flintridge. <laughs> 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 so that was kind of fun. And I, you probably have memories of riding in that Phaeton. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. It was close to Chevy Chase, which is a real windy street going into Glendale, still existing. But that was the way to get to Glendale or L.A. even at that time. And, mm. yeah, he took me on some pretty hair-raising rides then in his, in his, in his uh, Phaeton. Yeah. yeah so... Yeah, that would stay with you. you were a little oh, bit it did, yeah. Uh -huh. like that. It was exciting. I loved it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so your first, you say your first car was a Model A. Yeah, I got it when I was 15 and and saved money, like I said, and hopped it up and eventually sold it and, and uh, bought a 32 Roadster that I kept for, oh, six months or so and... Then I found this other 32 Roadster that I ended up with, uh, the one I raced a horse with, and mm -hmm. and then I worked on it, and it became a pretty fast car. Yeah. So we had formed the a club called the Accelerators. This was, uh, let's see, it was 40, uh, it was uh, 42, 43, 44, around there. And uh, there was a war going on, naturally, so the SETA was kind of, uh, they'd stopped running the lakes stuff. So anyway, we formed our own club called the Accelerators, and there were 18 of us at one time. And it was a neat club, and I've got pictures of that. And uh, We did go to the lakes because Rosetta was, Running at that time at the dry lakes, so mm -hmm. yeah, we started going up the lakes when they were there was an event up there, usually at El Mirage or Harper's dry lakes. Do you remember your first trip to the dry lakes? Uh, yes, it was uh, when I was, I think, 17, and uh, was with another uh, member of our little club. Uh, I didn't take my roadster at that time, but I uh, rode up with him, and that was my first experience in, at uh, El Mirage, actually. And, uh, of course, I took my roadster to the lakes later on. It was usually either Harper's or El Mirage. El Mirage was much better, because uh, 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 Harper's tended to get kind of uh, slippery. You know, your rear end didn't want to come around when it stood on it, and hmm. so you had to kind of feather the throttle all the way through the trap. So it, 
It was the surface was that different. It was surface was that different at that time. Anyway, maybe yeah. better now. I don't think they run there anymore, though. They don't. No. Yeah, just uh, El Mirage. Yeah. So. so the first time you went to the lakes, would that have been with your first the first Model A that you had, or? No, no, no. It was with the the second thirty two. Okay. Roadster. Yeah. Yeah. So. Going back to the first Model A. Did you, you said that was a bit hopped up. Was that just kind of street racing around? It was just street racing around, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Definitely. And what was that, <coughs> what was that community like? I mean, how did that work? What it... Well, we met it, like I said earlier, two or three different drive-ins, either on Wednesday night or Saturday night, and drove our roadsters, and, and we'd, uh, challenge somebody challenge us to a race, and we go to Foothill and Charmander or the Rose Bowl or Peck Road. A lot of different areas that were not too populated mm -hmm. have drag races that were strictly illegal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my father didn't think too much of that because uh, he was in law enforcement at the time. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to ask what your father did. <laughs> yeah, he was a uh, special agent for the attorney general's office. So, mm. but uh, he got a little tolerant later on, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. Both of his sons, hot rodders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, he'd seen my, in fact, he'd gone to the Dry Lakes one with my older brother. Was your older brother pretty competitive? Do you have a, a good running car? Do you remember? Yeah, it was pretty good running, I think. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, at that time they they raced each other up there, you know, f four abreast, five abreast, in eighty to ninety classes, and ninety to hundred class, and that was about it. Maybe a hundred over class, but nobody went much over in thirty eight. You know, maybe Ernie McAfee did with that modified or streamliner he had. Well, and he had funding. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. How long did your brother stay in it, as far as the hot rodding, or running a roadster? Maybe, I went, I'm guessing, three years tops. Mm -hmm. They went to college, and then he uh, got married and started a family, so. Mm -hmm. But he was always interested in cars. So we did a lot of car events together, which were later on, they were sports car events that, you know, hmm. early sports car racing. Hmm. Well, hey. we'll, we'll definitely get into that because that's, that's a yeah, that's thing a, for us too. Yeah, there's, there's a whole background, I'll tell you, yeah. of all types of racing. Well, that's, yeah, that's such an important part of the car culture out here. It is really. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Cal Club stuff and all that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you went from a Model A to a thirty-two, and then and then to your kind of ultimate thirty-two. Right, the ultimate thirty-two. People, if people you know. connect you to. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It had a bigger engine in it and everything else. It had a, you know, a thirty-nine Merc that was stroked and eighth-inch stroke and a three-eighths bore. A little. More than that, actually, twenty thousandths more than three eighths, hmm. and a Bertrand cam and Denver heads because there weren't any special heads 
at that time, like Edelbrock or Meyer, and uh, it did have a wind manifold, one of the old high-rise manifolds, and I got an ignition from Bill Spaulding, yeah, the dual-coil Zephyr uh, ignition, so, and headers, of course, so, and it was port unrelieved and wasn't too well balanced because it wasn't too much balancing at that time. But So what, do you know what year it would have been that you bought the car? Yes, it was uh, 43, yeah. Right in the middle of the war. Yes, it was. Yeah, all of, most of our activity was during the war and just right after the war. What did you know about the Were you familiar with the car when it became available? Yes, I was familiar. It had been originally uh, uh, built as far as being a roadster here in Pasadena, and I knew the, the guy that built it originally, and it did have that uh, Merck engine in it. I redid a lot of it, but uh, and it had been painted and upholstered and so forth. So mm. it was a nice, pretty roadster, mm. you know, with Kelsey wheels and the, the whole nine yards and lowered naturally. Yeah. And big tires on the back, 750s. Do you remember the guy's name, who you bought it from? Uh, Dick Novell. Dick Novell. Was he kind of a friend of yours, or you just kind of knew of him? I knew of him, and he became a friend later on, and he was uh, several years older than I was, and he was going into the service. So, But I did know the car, yes. Mm. Uh-huh. And it, it was a very nice car for a 32 it, you know. Did he run the car at the lakes before you had it? No, uh-uh, no. He just kind of built it two-thirds of the way, I'd say, and uh, went into the Navy mm. and sold it to a guy named Don Castleman, who had a very short time and sold it to me, and I bought it from Castleman. Do you remember what you paid for it? $400, and I had to borrow the money. <laughs> well, I borrowed 200 of the 400. <laughs> How'd you do that? Who'd you borrow the money from? My brother-in-law. Uh, yeah, he was a little wealthier than I was. <laughs> a lot wealthier. <laughs> uh huh. And $200 yeah. is a lot of money. Oh, it was back then. Yeah. <clears throat> but I just started working at Lockheed on the what they called the 4 4 plan. You worked four weeks at Lockheed and four weeks at school and back and forth all year round. So mm. I was making pretty good money for that time. Mm. So I was able to pay him back pretty, pretty quickly. But. Uh, I took the engine apart and I went down to Don Blair's house because he was doing valve jobs out of his house. and did a valve job and re-ringed it and put it back together and added a few things. I added, I think, two forty-eight carburetors, yeah, and uh, instead of the 97s. So it was, it was a pretty rapid car, I mean, acceleration. And, Top gear, actually, too. Yeah. And what, what was the rest of the drivetrain in the car? Was it? <coughs> I did have uh, Zephyr gears in the transmission. Uh, Connie Wydell was doing that at the time, and uh, Connie and I became pretty good friends. And 
In fact, at one time I worked worked for him. Yeah, later. And uh, 378 rear end naturally, and that was that was at 750s on the back and and 600s on the front. Dropped axle. It wasn't actually dropped axle. It was we just reversed the springs and dropped it down. You know, because they didn't have any so-called Dago axles at that time. Yeah, re-arced the rear springs. So it's that nice. And you, you went right to work on it when you got it to kind of personalize it and upgrade it? Yeah, really. Yeah, and actually I had a top made for it and side curtains because it was my only means of transportation mm. at the time. So. Did it have a heater in it? No, the engine was a heater. <laughs> <laughs> the headers going under the floorboards. Yeah. So it became a heater. No, I didn't have any modern accessories in it. Uh-huh. It was a nice finished roadster, though. Yes, it was. It had a real nice paint job that uh, uh, the, the Dick and Vale put on it. Yeah, hmm. I didn't do that. Now, so. would, it, would it have been around this time that you ran across Ed Winfield? Actually, it was a little later, actually. Yeah. I had had him grind me a cam, and uh, I took him over the uh, the uh, degrees I wanted in the cam, the lift and the duration and so forth, and and uh, top dead center and all that. And uh, he went over it with me, and he was quite pleasant. He, you know, I think it kind of surprised him because I I probably looked 15, <laughs> and I knew quite a bit about cams at the time, so. Anyway, it that worked out. That must have been surprising for him to have a hot rodder come in, yeah, actually, shop and actually care about yeah, the, yeah. camshaft profile. And, exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he actually allowed you in the shop and you had conversation with him? In the shop as far as the front office went, really. Mm. But he did talk to me for quite a while. And, and did he grind a cam for that 32, or was this a later car? It was uh, it was later on in the 32, mm-hmm. because I had a different engine at one time, a later engine that I put in. After the, uh, the 39, I bought a 42 crate engine that was already relieved, one of those that you buy from Ford that already has a transmission and everything with it, mm-hmm. and uh, built that up. Had that cam in there, so that, that was what was in there when I sold it, and it had this pretty much the same equipment on it. When I had gone to Edelbrock, heads and manifold. Hmm. So now I know that car became kind of well known in the area as a pretty hard car to beat. It was, as far as acceleration goes, it you know got off the line very quickly, and pretty well stayed with it. I. I uh, actually raced quite a few guys on the street. McGrath, Jack McGrath, and Don Blair beat both of them. And uh, they were the hot shots at the time. I never raced Nellie Taylor. I knew him, but he had a fast 32 also. Mm. I think he ran 125. Mm. Ray Brown, and he was in the club with the Roadrunners, which I joined later. 
Hmm. Got into the Roadrunners with uh, Randy Shin, Nick Miller, and Wally Parks, and and uh, those guys. What year did you join the Roadrunners? You, you know? Yeah, 1940, 45 or 46. I've got my card here somewhere. Hmm. My original card that's signed by Wally Parks and Nick Miller. They were president and vice president. Yeah. Pretty good group of guys you were running. Oh, real, real good group of guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Ma how, er, it? excuse me, uh, Ernie McAfee was also in there, early member. Mm -hmm. And I think that club's still going. As far as I know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember any of the guys who were in the accelerators? Yeah, I remember all of them. Sure, gosh, yes. Because we were young at the time, and most of us had gone to school together. So, yeah, I've got a picture of, of I was just looking at it, of eight or ten of us of the accelerators, and I'm the only one left. It's mm. kind of scary. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope they're all older than you. I was pretty much the same age. Ah, well. <laughs> one was older, yeah. So, how soon into your ownership of your 32 did you begin uh, street racing, and, and when was the first time you would have taken it to the lakes? Uh, I'd say probably mid-1943, around there, yeah. We did both, of course, met at the drive-ins and went to the lakes whenever they were having them. Got up real early. and. Spent the day up there, got sunburned. <laughs> what What was your first lakes experience like with the 32? Was it competitive? Had you done all the modifications? Yes, I had, really. But I ran it at, uh, at Harper's, and it uh, first run was 118, but I was fishtailing all the way through the traps, and, and it was kind of hard to keep completely on the throttle, and uh, I think I ran 120 that day, tops. Very respectable. Yeah, for those days, yes, it was. On that yeah. surface in a street road. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the Roadster record was first held by Vic Edelbrock, and then Randy Shin, and it was in the 20s, 120s, tall, mm -hmm. 20s. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And then there were modifieds, Danny Sakai and Phil Remington and that group and the modify or the streamliners. There were only three classes. And uh knew Stuart Hilburn pretty well. Got a lot of pictures of his car. And he finally ran hundred and fifty in nineteen forty seven, I think it was. Hmm. Yeah, which was Flying, for sure. At that time, yeah. And Bill Burke and his his belly tank, he was a road runner too. Yeah. Hmm. He he was the first one to use the belly tank for streamliner. Yeah. Well, and speaking of belly tanks in the mid '40s, how did it time out that you? Well, tell me about your. Uh, you didn't go to the war, but you right. You stayed here and you worked with 
Lockheed. Yes, I did. Right. Yeah, actually, when I turned 17, I went down and first thing and joined the Air Corps because I wanted to fly P-38s because I was working on them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, first day was a pretty tough uh, uh, aptitude, middle, mental test all day long. And I passed that with flying colors. And the next day was the physical, and they found a heart murmur, which I never knew I had, and which never bothered me, and has since gone away a long time ago. So they rejected me, so that was my... And by then the war was kind of uh, almost running down, but mm -hmm. a little later. Mm. Uh, I missed it as far as going in. I, f I feel like when we last spoke, um, you had told me, and, I, and maybe this is just something, something that I locked onto in my head, and I have this, uh, you know, vision sure. in my head of you driving to uh, Lockheed in your Roadster. But that was your only car, wasn't it? Yes, it was. But uh, we all had uh, what they call C ration cards which were, gave you a lot more gas than A or B cards. And uh, I say all of us, I, I'm talking mostly about the Roadster group. And we didn't really drive a Roadster to Lockheed. We took the bus. So, <laughs> so uh, we got more gas that way. That way you could use your gas for just running around. Exactly, yeah. That's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> And at Lockheed, I was able to buy a lot of uh, valuable tools at half price or, or really a reduced price. So I built up a lot of tools that way. Well, and, and for, uh, for a kid who was interested in things mechanical. Very much so. Uh, what an amazing place to be able to to work to see the that facility and the tooling and the materials and oh, the yeah. technology De definitely definitely yeah yeah did all sorts of things from riveting to bolting to you know you name it hmm. cockpit installations and, and these were on P38s they were on P38s uh -huh. they're all in, in line at Lockheed when we got through them, I wonder if they flew. <laughs> no, they flew fine. Yeah. Did they fire them there at the facility? No, not really, no. I guess they did eventually. I, I didn't get into that part. Hmm. I remember sitting in the cockpit several times and, geez, I wanted to fly that thing. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, still do. <laughs> yeah. One of the greatest creations ever to grace yeah. the sky. Yeah, over 10,000 made and there's five left. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah, they were a beautiful airplane. Beautiful looking, beautiful sounding. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm at this facility where you worked, were these complete ready-to-fly planes by the time they left there? Yes, they were. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was full-out production. So that was interesting. I bet. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. And it gave a young guy 
an, an income that was pretty good, really, because they paid pretty well. Mm. You know, their government subsidized. And so. Well, I guess we'll, since we're in this time period, I'll, uh, I'll have to request that you give us the story of the race and the horse then. Oh, sure. Uh, it just happened kind of by chance. I was up at the GNL drive-in in Pasadena on a Wednesday, which we always did with our roadsters. I didn't have my roadster at that time, at that night, I should say. Anyway, uh, Connie Wydell and Ack Miller drove in in Connie's Cadillac-powered T, which was a beautiful car and very fast. And uh, they told me about, well, they told the group there about the man who had come into Ack Miller's garage and understood that Ack had a very fast hot rod. Would he be interested in racing a horse for a short distance, 50 yards or so, uh, for $200? Was, yeah, it was $200. And X said, well, sure, I'll do that. <laughs> I'd be glad to do that. And then he and Connie got together, and they figured out that a good racehorse, in fact, a Seabiscuit at the time, could cover that distance in four seconds, which was pretty fast. Yeah. At the time, they didn't know it was actually a quarter horse that was actually faster off the line than Seabiscuit. Anyway. They uh, timed their cars, and they couldn't quite do that. So they looked around and, and heard about my car. I don't know where they heard about it, but they did. And that's why they came to Pasadena. So uh, the gang there said, Pete, go get your car. <laughs> Let's go out to Foothill. So I did, and I raced uh, Connie Whitehall for 50, 60 yards from a dead stop. And I beat him twice. So I was chosen to race the horse and uh, didn't think that much of it anyway. I didn't remember the difference in time. It was probably next week or 10 days. We met very early down in, uh, on what's called 39, Highway 39 now. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, the man, man was down there with his horse and his, the jockey and full colors, the whole bit. And it was a quarter mile racehorse. <coughs> Plus there were probably, I don't know, I'd say 50, 60 hot rod men down there. Fortunately, Ernie McAfee was one of them. And uh, anyway, got lined up with the horse and the horse running in the dirt and I was running on the pavement and the uh, horse, horse's owner, at the drop of a hat, <coughs> the horse took off, and I took off a little behind him, actually. The horse was way in front of me at, at 25 yards, but I finally caught him at, at 50 or 60 yards, whichever it was, and, and uh, they'd marked it off with dirt across the road. And <coughs> fortunately, Ernie McAvee had taken a picture of that, and I... Pictures become kind of well known. It's been in quite a few magazines and the 
whole story mm -hmm. of how about uh, drag racing started. Quarter mile. <laughs> yeah. Actually. Yeah. And uh, Gray Baskerville wrote a whole story on it in, uh, <coughs> in a uh, car magazine that was kind of set it off. That was very nicely done. I've got a copy over there. The car became famous, not me. <laughs> I think a little bit of both. Well, <laughs> I didn't think that much of it at the time, and <coughs> all the guys down there had bid on the on my car too, and I borrowed twenty bucks from my mother to bid on me, <laughs> so I was able to repay her. So. That's amazing that your mother was willing to get on board with that. Well, she didn't know what it was for. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that does make a difference. Right. I don't think she'd have cared anyway. Huh. So, anyway, that was the horse race. <coughs> and, and can I ask, did you, the, the 50 yards, were you able to stay in first gear for all that? Or you yes, I was, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Zephyr Gears to the rescue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, already. Damn. Absolutely. Now, wasn't there another guy that showed up with a motorcycle? What is that story? <coughs> oh, after I beat the horse, we had a, a uh, professional motorcycle rider. Chuck Basney was his name. <coughs> he had a very, very hot bike that I had raced before. And he beat me, I knew. so everybody doubled up their money. And uh, Clay Smith, had, who was there, had built the engine for it. It was quite a, quite a fast bike. Hmm. He'd go 50 yards on, on the rear wheel, you know. And uh, they lined up together. And of course, he'd taken the baffles out of the exhaust and uh, winding up a bike like that made a tremendous noise and the horse just took off. So there was never any race then. <laughs> so, and there's been, I don't know how many magazines the horse race has been in. You probably do better than I do, no. Well, a lot. A lot, yeah. And books as well. And books. <clears throat> yeah, Dean Batchelor wrote about it. And, my favorite hot rod book. That yeah, yeah. Book. That's a good one. He was my one of my favorite guys. He, you know, he was a road runner, and I kept in touch with him for a long time till till he passed away. And uh, yeah, in fact, I got into the Pantera Club later and became vice president for a while. And and you have to bring speakers, and and uh, I brought him several times and. We had dinner together, and he was a neat guy. Really liked Dean. That's his reputation straight down the line. Oh yeah, yeah. He was just a nice person. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That is a good book. I've got it up there. Plus a lot of Don Montgomery's books. Mm -hmm. There's been pictures, not of the horse race, but of the car. Yeah. So forth, and Rotter's Journal, and. You know, I guess been in the hot rod a couple of times. And well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's one of the, the most uh, 
famous 32s, you know, from yeah. that era. And it's, that's such a unique story, and the fact that there's a photograph to back it up. Yeah. You know. Really. I think really locks it down, you know. Thank God for Ernie McAfee. <laughs> yeah, where no one would believe it. I know. <laughs> yeah. It'd be another tall tale. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, he was killed. Yep. At racing a Ferrari up at uh, Monterey at Pebble Beach. Pebble Beach Road Races. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so the rest of your time with with your thirty two. Um, well, I'm, I am curious about one thing. I mean, what that story about beating the horse must have spread. Was it? Did it suddenly become tough to find guys that would even try to race you? After that? Uh, no, not really. No. Yeah. Uh -uh. No. Did you ever lose a street race in that 32? I'm trying to remember, to be honest with you. I think uh, one time I raced Blackie Gold up Sierra Madre Boulevard. And Blackie Gold worked it for Al Hawkins at Al's Motor Shop in Pasadena, Cracker Jack mechanic. And they had a beautiful 32, very fast. And we kind of split. I won one race and he won the other. So, yeah. Mm. And uh, I kept in touch with Blackie. Quite a history to that man. He died at the age of 99 this year, as a matter of fact. Oh, my. And he was still working on cars. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Boy, it's hard to get it out of your blood, isn't it? It is, really, yeah. And uh, a couple of years ago, he came over. He lived in Arizona. Came over to visit his daughter, who lived in Pasadena, and I took him out to dinner. <clears throat> and really enjoyed He was really sharp, and he was... In his mid nineties, then I mean, hmm. amazing man, never took a pill. <laughs> well, maybe there's something to that. I know. <laughs> yeah, there could be. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So. So the uh, what? What was the kind of end of the story? I guess. For, well, I guess for, for the thirty-two. Kind of the end of the story was. Uh, after that, I ran it at. at the lakes a couple of times and, and ran in the 120s and became very good friends with uh, Connie Wydell and Ack Miller. You never really got to know Wally Parks too well. I don't think any, well, not many people did. He was a very nice man. And of course, Vic Edelbrock Sr., and then I, later on in life, I raced with Vic Edelbrock Jr. <laughs> up at uh, Laguna Seca, the Monterey Historics. Mm -hmm. But that's a complete another story. Anyway, as far as the Roadster goes, uh, in 1947, I met my wife, and uh, we decided to get married, so I sold the Roadster and bought a 40 Ford convertible, like I have now. <laughs> mm. And uh, 
sold it to a man out in Monrovia, and I, I never knew what happened to it as far as that goes, except when it, I guess, it turned up in uh, Florida with Chuck uh, Longley, and as you know, he restored it. And uh, after I'd called, because I was kind of looking for a 32 Roadster, uh, oh, about eight or nine years ago, I guess it was, and it was in uh, Hemings Motor News, so I just called about it. It was advertised in there. And got to talking to him, and he described it. It kind of sounded like my old roadster it had an Auburn dash and pressure pump on the left side and starter on the right side, and, and uh, little things like that that were kind of different. So, mm -hmm. and uh, we kind of decided it, it probably was my old car, but it had been lowered, channeled actually with a nail head Buick in it. Uh, but he was convinced it was my old Roadster, so we took it from there and he restored it. Uh, I think it took him about two years. And uh, I sent him a lot of pictures and he'd call once a week at least, uh, where was this and where, where was that? What color was this and so forth and so on. So. He did a very good job mm, yeah. rest restoring it. Yeah, I've seen the car. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Finally went to Pebble Beach, showed up there, and then he sold it for... I'd sold it uh, uh, for $750, and Chuck Longley sold it for $375,000. <laughs> to a gentleman, Ralph, I can't think of his last name. Whitworth? Whitworth, that uh, was opening a museum in, uh, in Nevada, Winnemucca, Nevada, of all places. And the only time that sees action is when people are going to Bonneville, I think. Mm. <laughs> anyway, that kind of folded, but uh, and he sold off the cars. But he, he still has the Roadster. As far as I know, mm. I think it's down in San Diego mm. now. So it still lives. Yeah. What what a remarkable thing that you called on a random thirty two Roadster in Hemmings Motor News. Yeah. Uh -huh. In Florida. Right. It happened to be your car. Yeah. I mean, just out of the blue. That is just remarkable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Jeez. Yeah. And, and, was it a situation where once, once that owner in Florida realized it was your car, then he didn't want to sell it? Yes, yes, he took it right off the market. And, and you couldn't convince him to sell it to you? Well, I didn't have $375,000. Well, <laughs> no. I mean, before the car was restored. And oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Did you want He He was in the restoration business anyway. Okay. And I didn't really have time to do it. And uh, <clears throat> since then, he's restored quite a few historical cars mm -hmm. that were original 32s or AV8s or whatever. Mm -hmm. And did has done research on most of them. 
He did Jerry Stroner's, which was the Channel 32, and Jerry was in the Roadrunners, too. So he's done quite a few. I still keep in touch with him. Hmm. It was pretty, pretty exciting. <coughs> he brought it up for the uh, Roadster show out of Pomona. And I drove it around, and it was pretty exciting. Remembering how bad the brakes were and <laughs> things like that. <laughs> they were rod brakes, of course. You had mechanical brakes on it? Wow. Oh, yeah. Well, <coughs> not everybody had hydraulic brakes in those days. Mm. Did it feel about the same? Did your memories come back? with? Yeah, pretty much so. I wasn't able to go fast in it or anything yeah. like that, but felt pretty much the same, yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. What, how would you rate the condition of it now versus the way it was when you had it at its best? Pretty close to the same, really, I wow. think. So it was very, very cherry when you had it. In the yeah, I had a <coughs> beautiful top on it. I don't think the top you put on is quite the same. But anyway, I had Carson over in, in L.A. put a top on it. They built the bows and everything, so it was kind of unique and very low, and it's a nice-looking top. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen it with the top on it yeah. in the Rodder's Journal, I believe. Yes, it was. Yeah, great-looking car. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, it was one of the prettiest, if I do say so. 32's around at that time. Later on, they became some really nice Ray Browns, and... <coughs> and uh, Trying to think of uh, several others that were really nice-looking roadsters. Mm -hmm. Bob McGee's, another one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and then after I got married, I kind of dropped out of cars for quite a while to raise a family. Still kept a Model A mm -hmm. to play with, not a hot rod Model A, just. I joined the uh, Model A Ford Club of America actually 40 years ago, and I've had a Model A ever since, just a stock original Model A, and now I've got an original stock Model A and a uh, hot-rodded Model A, period. Mm -hmm. I mean, with original equipment in Winfield and Stromberg and Winfield Cam and the whole, hmm. just look I had way back when. So, so when you when you started a family uh, in the early 1950s, I'm guessing. Yeah, so, actually, yeah, it was early 50s, sure. Um, I know you. I know you have a, a love for sports car racing. Were you around that at all? Did you go to the races? Yes, went to the very early. Uh, sports car races uh, with the Cow Club group and the SC, SCCA and uh, went with my older brother and my brother-in-law actually. We'd go to Bakersfield and Riverside and wherever they were running in Palm Springs and just watch them and then my brother brought a Austin Healey and who'd take that to the races and <laughs> Never raced it, just took it. So, and then after that, uh, 
became, I still was interested in cars and sports cars. I had two Porsches and a, and a Pantera. And I went to Riverside and when they were just starting vintage racing and watched a Vara race out there and said, I, I've got to get into that. And uh, so I found a little Abarth in Las Vegas and bought it, little Fiat Albert Zagato. Mm, a double bubble? Double bubble, yes. Wow, neat car. Yeah, it was a neat little car. The reason I, I got into that, to make the story longer, uh, first new car I bought was a Fiat 600 when mm. they first started selling them in this country. Mm. <coughs> and I'd put Albert aftermarket equipment on it, you know, mm. the exhaust and so forth. And I knew about the double bubble, and I always wanted one, and I found one at a good price in, in Nevada. Bought it and started, joined VARA, Vintage Auto Racing Association, and started racing it in that class, you know, under a thousand cc engine class, sports cars. And uh, went to Riverside, took three-day class with uh, Jim Russell Driving School in Formula Fords and got in it pretty heavily. <laughs> and what, what year would this have been that you got involved in this? It was probably 19... Uh, i trying to think back. About 1984, around there, mm -hmm. mid-80s. Mid and uh, it was just when... Uh, Steel Verol was starting the Monterey Historics up at uh, Laguna Seca in Monterey. <clears throat> and I joined his club, HMSA, and was able to race in oh, 20 years, 22 years actually, with him up at Monterey and Laguna Seca racetracks. But I did sell the double bubble. And I bought an, an original, original 1934 Sprint car. And, uh, and when I bought it, it had a Winfield flathead in it. Uh, but the engine was frozen. So I found a Riley Fourport engine, which I put in there. It was a nice car. I ran it for a couple of years. And then I thought, I want to get into something a little quicker and a little more fun to drive, so I got into a Formula Junior, which was a very, very nice little fast car. And the Formula Juniors were, uh, the Formula One drivers trained in Formula Junior before they went to Formula One, so it was kind of a pre-Formula uh, One car, a class of its own. And I it was a BMC Huffaker, and I raced it for about four years, five years. And it was quick, very quick, mm. and a lot of fun, and very forgiving. <coughs> and I've always liked old race cars, so I sold that. And I bought a 1926 original again, Legion Ascot Speedway. Oh track car, dirt track car, that was a T, 
had a Rajo four-port head on it and all the head Winfield carburetor. And uh, I raced it up at Monterey Historics for three or four years and followed it with a uh, very early original midget race car. <coughs> it was 1934 that had a Henderson motorcycle engine in it. Hmm. I always wanted a Henderson because, not of my name, but my dad had a Henderson motorcycle. He always raved about how good it was. And of course, when the midgets started, they used motorcycle engines, outboard motor engines, and the office and the V860s weren't around till later. Completely rebuilt it, put a transmission in, Austin transmission starter and ran it in Monterey two or three times and and I when I turned 79 Gloria said hang up your helmet <laughs> you know, you've done this a lot and when I was into vintage racing I really enjoyed it and we ended up going all over the country actually ran at Watkins Glen and Mid-Ohio and oh, wow. Lime Rock and all those tracks back east. Mm. So that, that was fun. Yeah. I'm very familiar with those tracks. That's, that's where I'm from, back east. So. Yeah. 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 Yeah, those are... Beautiful, beautiful tracks. <coughs> they really are. They're picturesque. Yeah. Were you ever there for the, for the Watkins Glen uh, historics when they run in the street and all that? They recreate no. the races? No, I missed that. Yeah. That's a neat event. Yeah, yeah. Any event there is. Oh yeah, it's a beautiful area. Oh, right there at Seneca Lake and yeah, the lodge and uh huh. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd love that. Yeah, that was mid and Atlantic. Uh, excuse me, Atlanta Motor Speedway. Road Atlanta. Road Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. I've got a couple of medals up there. Road Atlanta. <coughs> My son-in-law who lives in Georgia. Uh, he had a Porsche for a while, and we co-drive in Enduros, and that was a lot of fun. So. Hmm. <laughs> I'm still into cars. <laughs> yeah. Well, somewhere along the way, I guess around the time when that you discovered that your car still existed, you decided you wanted another Roadster. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I'd still like to have another Roadster, but it would have to be original. You know, I... Don't want a replica or fiberglass, or I'm kind of very partial to originality. Mm -hmm. The stuff I grew up with, yeah, you know, it's just my '44 is that way, and so's the Model A Roadster I've got. Mm -hmm. They all have period equipment on them. Yeah, yeah. The uh, your your '29 Roadster. I believe it's a 29. The yes, it is. Yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of that car. I love that car. Yeah, thank it's you. Perfect, thank you. Perfect car. Yeah. I wanted to keep it as we had back in the 40s mm -hmm. with an original 32 grill. You know, and it does have hydraulic brakes and an overdrive, which is a little bit of an addition, but it sure helps with 411 gears. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. So that was the car you built after you, your 32 went off and got restored, and and that 
That was the car you decided, well, I'll build one of my own? And yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Did you start with an original complete car? Yes, definitely. A, all original that uh, had been stored for 30 years over in Glendale in a, in a uh, garage over there. Yeah, I found it. And actually, first I restored it as all original. And then I said, I don't want this. I want a roadster. So I took the fenders and everything off. And uh, with Pete Eastwood's help, we, he, he did the uh, front end work and the rear end work as far as uh, uh, retorching the springs and dropped axle, that sort mm -hmm. of thing. So, and of course, Jay Steele built the engine, which is a great engine. God, it runs great. Yeah, he's got quite a, quite a reputation. Oh, the best. Yeah. Yeah, he built the V8 engine in the 42 mm. for also. Yeah. It, uh, I ran it at the hill climb with uh, Forever Four Club, the Roadster. Did pretty well. You know, it's not as fast as, <coughs> as some of those bare-bone tees with Riley Four Ports, but it's all four-cylinder stuff. Well, it, speaking of, of you racing, it sure sounds to me like you ran very strong and near, right, right at the front of the pack in, in, with your vintage racing. Your I car. did. I've got well, I've, I've several awards for that. Yeah, first in class. You know, it's all by class and so forth. Yeah. Yeah, the junior was fast. <clears throat> they had the formula front engine formula junior and rear engine formula junior, which are later, later than the front. They start front engine. And I was usually, in fact, always uh, first in the front engine class. A couple of the rear engine I could beat, but they were quicker handling and everything else. Hmm. I mean, Lotus got into it, and Lola and some of the <laughs> real technicians. Yeah, Cooper and everything. Yeah. Cooper, Cooper made a beautiful Formula yeah, Junior. RM. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stangelini, that was a beautiful car. Mm -hmm. Beautiful front engine. And uh, Lola. Yeah. Gemini. Yeah, there were a lot of Formula Juniors. Mm -hmm. It was, a, it's, it's still a fun class. Oh, yeah. It's, it's growing right now. Oh, growing yeah. like gangbusters. Yeah. In fact, I just had a, an old friend from VAR that has a uh, Formula Junior call me two or three times and wants some information I had on Formula Juniors. So, still keep in touch with some of them. Of course, Chris Wickersham raced up there and Ed Dwyer that are both in the Roadster Club. Yeah, yeah. They're a different class. Yeah, Chris raced big stuff, didn't he? Yes, yeah. yeah. And B, B production and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And Ed raced the NASCAR stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Handfuls. Yeah, right. <laughs> Lots of brakes and tires. Oh, you bet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. So in this in this interim period uh, of the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, other than being a member of the Model A club and having a stock Model A, 
um, was was there really not a lot of activity for you with, with in the car world outside of the Model A stuff? Not really. The Model A was pretty much it. I, like I said, I joined the Pantera Club when I had a Pantera, mm. and we used to take tours and uh, once a year go to Vegas about, I don't know, 30 of us at least. And the police thought it was a cannonball run going up there, which it kind of got to be. One time we were followed by a helicopter right above us all the way up there. <laughs> they used to close Fremont Street and let us line up Saturday nights for a show. So that was fun. And that was kind of in between. And then the Porsche Carrera I had for a while. And then a Porsche 928 S4, which was a beautiful car. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And that was a great touring car, golly. Comfortable, fast. And then I've had five Corvettes along the way from a 65, 67. 74, 78, and the one I've got now, which is an 08. So. What, uh, of those Corvettes, which, which one do you have the fondest memories of? Which was your favorite car? It'd have to be the one I have now, or the 67, 67 Coupe. That was a really nice car, pretty. I mean, that, I loved that body style, you know, the original Stingray. Yeah. <clears throat> and it had air and everything in it, and it was comfortable. And oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. That was a nice car. Yeah, very clean year, too. They really yeah. really got it right in Yeah, they did. Yeah. And, of course, the Pantera was fun. It was strictly a man's car. I mean, it was, you know, heavy clutch and s steering and so forth. But... We went on some nice trips with that, Monterey, and yeah, a couple, a couple of years. So, so you've you've come full circle. You have a you have a, a roadster again, and yeah, you're in a roadster club, and yes, Pasadena Roadster Club. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still with it. Yeah, I can't do uh, the things I'd like to do anymore, like pull engines and work on transmissions and mm. that sort of thing. It's just, I can still change oil and spark plugs and work on carburetors. <laughs> That's about my limit anymore, so. I've had an interesting car life, you might say. All, all those books up there are, are car related. Mm. <laughs> and the cars I've had and the, the roadsters all over roadster books that have been written, and, and uh, I just got that trophy for the 40 Ford convertible down at the auto show in Temple City. So that's the uh, only auto show I go to. Uh, auto shows kind of bore me. Just one, one last thing, speaking of you coming full circle and having a having a roadster again, or a hot rod, as mm -hmm. they call them now. Right. Um, and being in the Pasadena Roadster Club, um, I have a feeling I know the answer to this, but did you ever think in a million years that people would be restoring your 
you know, like your old, your 32 Roadster you had when you were a kid and that people would still be doing this in the way that, or at least building cars in the way that they did in the 1940s? No, I think I, it very much surprised me because uh, I've taken Hot Rod Magazine for a long time and I see the 10 going toward highly modifying, oh, Chevys and, you know, putting big blocks in in uh, Chevys and Fords and so forth. Uh, but uh, I see a strong growth now in the early hot rod industry and interest, really. And I'm glad to see it, glad to see young people come along that are interested in it and interested in old people like me that <laughs> kind of grew up with it. So, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, very satisfying, really, to see a, a growth in the old style roadsters. Not hot rods, roadsters. <laughs> I don't know where that name originally came from. I think it was something the, uh, probably the police tagged us with. Cause we weren't too friendly with the police in early days because of street racing mostly, which is normal. Yeah. <laughs> but there wasn't the traffic in those days, so it really wasn't that dangerous. Did you ever do much running from the cops, or was that...? Yes, I'm afraid to admit, yeah. Not a lot, but yes, yeah, some, yeah. And it was involved in a pretty serious wreck. I wasn't part of it. Uh, from two of my good friends, in, both in 30 to Roadsters, running from the cops. Mm. And uh, they were going pretty, pretty quick, and one guy, the lead Roadster turned in front of the Roadster behind him and shouldn't have done that, and the Roadster behind him hit him and sent two of them in the street, and. The other one took off, and the cops came, and it was... I was in my roadster behind the police car, seeing what was going to happen. But uh, that's the only incident I can remember where that didn't pay off. Were these guys buddies of yours? Yes, they were, actually, yeah. Were they hurt pretty bad, or...? <sighs> two of them were, the two that uh, hit, the, hit the other car. The, turned in front of them. They thought I was involved in it, but I, I wasn't, because I was just there. Uh, the two were, that were hurt, uh, one of them is still, I still keep in touch with, actually. One of the few that, it was actually an accelerator at one time, Bob Blinn, and he had a nice 32 Roadster. But he recovered fully, and so did the other, other guy. But it was, it was kind of nasty at the time. But I was never really close to being involved in any kind of accident, either road racing or trying to avoid the police. I, di I didn't really didn't do that myself much. I did it one time driving down from Oregon. My folks had moved to Oregon. And I went up there, went to college, and had my roadster. And I didn't like it up there, because <coughs> it rained all the time. It's not good for a, a fenderless roadster, so. Yeah. 
Coming down one time, I picked up a highway patrol guy in Oregon, actually, and I was <coughs> full tank of gas and a long way to go to California and Pasadena, so I eventually outran him. So, or he just quit, one of the two. They didn't have the chases like they do now. Yeah. With helicopters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, that was about it. Well, yeah. We appreciate your time. Well, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure to contribute something to, I think, a worthy cause. Well, we appreciate you saying that. That's very thank, nice. Thank you. Well, thank you, Pete. Sure. Well, folks, there you have it. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Rodcast and our talk with Hot Rod Pioneer Pete Henderson. Our thanks to Pete and Gloria Henderson for giving their time and to Pete for sharing his story and his memories from the early days of hot rodding. Special thanks to our announcer, Larry Babb, and all the staff at Speed Shop Sound Studios. Our PR person is Angela Helton, and social media directing comes from Crystal Hayes. Technical assistance comes from Eric Curtis and Katie Sloan. And our theme song is by, well, me. Uh, Of course, uh, special thanks always to our archivist and historian, Jim Miller. The American Hot Rod Foundation is a 501c nonprofit and was founded in 2003 by Steve and Carol Mamishian. Without their generosity and passion for preserving the history of hot rodding, none of this would be possible. If you'd like to learn more about the foundation, check us out on our website at www.ahrf.com. We're also on Instagram, and we've got a great Facebook page that will keep you up to date on all things American Hot Rod Foundation related, as well as upcoming episodes of the podcast. So be sure to check back with us daily and see what we've got cooking. Uh, Thanks again for listening and helping to support our cause. We really do appreciate it. Uh, My name is David Steele, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to another great episode of The Rodcast, brought to you by the American Hot Rod Foundation.